From KMUW Studios and part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. And I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia Podcast. This episode was recorded on September 6th, 2023. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hey, Beth. Hey, Suzanne. It's been a little minute since we talked uh, in front of a microphone, but we've been doing a lot of reading, haven't we? We have. We, let's see, we recorded in June, it looks like, the end of June, and now it's September. I know. How did we skip July it's and August? It's because we've been reading and not uh, not talking about a lot of our okay. reading, but I think we we both have, you know, really good books to bring today. Yeah, I'm excited. And, and then later in the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about our reading retreat, which we took a few weeks back and was glorious. So we'll talk <laughs> a little bit about that and um, maybe what people can learn from our experience if they're planning their own. So what is your first read to bring today, Beth? Okay, my first read, I'm kind of going in backward order. I I finished this book most recent. It's called Wander Travels by Josh Barkin. I interviewed Josh several years ago for his collection of stories titled Mexico. He also wrote a novel titled Blind Speed, and now Wander Travels is a memoir. And I'll just read the first sentence, which, you know, we'll have to bleep a word from it. But here's how the book begins. In Morocco, she f- another man. So Josh Barkin's <laughs> wife of 15 years took a six-month around-the-world tour, and in the final days, she had an affair. So this memoir is about his personal healing process, you know, through the separation and divorce and dating again and his own worldly travel and finally traveling to Morocco to meet the man with whom she'd had the affair, even though they were no longer together. What? Yeah. That is fascinating. (laughs) I know. I've not heard of this one. Is it out already or is it coming? It's coming. It comes out September 12th. So. Wow. So very soon. Very soon. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I have to tell you. So so he wrote short stories and then a novel and then a memoir. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome. I am in a book club that just basically decided that we're going to do a year of memoirs. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a good idea. It may have been mine. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember now. But if they're listening, if any of the members are listening to this podcast, they'll be like, it was your idea. (laughs) Um, I I just think memoirs are, are such good reads. Yes. I mean, this one was just, it was palpable because you could just feel his raw emotion and and I liked just being along with him as he worked everything out Wow! so yeah this would be one to add to your list definitely wonder travels by Josh Barkin all right okay well I'm going to bring a book that I never thought in a million years that I would read and I'm going to tell you why it's uh, based on Greek mythology. Oh, well, why wouldn't you read that? Because I hate Greek mythology. No, you don't. You I love thought I Miller. Did. You love... I thought I did. Okay. I thought I hated Greek mythology. <laughs> I-, I will tell you, Beth, I started... No, I did read Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Right. You're right. But I started Circe and never finished it. Oh, yeah. So, um, but I think I, it was, I was just in the kind of the wrong mood for it. But this book is um, the title is Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes. Have you heard of this one? Is this Medusa? Yes. Okay. The reason I picked it up is I had an audio version of it from Libro FM, and I had heard, and it's true, that Natalie Haynes is a comedian. <laughs> She's a British comedian. So imagine, if you will, the story of Medusa 
and all of the surrounding Greek mythological creatures and goings on told by a comedian. Because, you know, Greek myths are super weird. Mm -hmm. People eat other people (laughs) and spit them out of their brains (laughs) and they, you know, die and come back again and they're like human but not really human. That's the part of Greek mythology that I could never quite grasp like you know what's the difference between a god and a titan and then not to mention all the names oh right i mean so this read was so enjoyable first of all she takes kind of a feminist look at medusa and all anyone really knows all i knew about medusa was that it was you know mm-hmm. snakehead creature that perseus kills on his odyssey right Mm -hmm. that's all anyone knows about it but this is told from her point of view and also from kind of her sisters Mm -hmm. you know point of view and it's also kind of about just what makes a monster and it's almost in that realm of villains point of view like uh, like wicked or something like that like you know who is Elphaba really who is the wicked witch of the west what's her backstory the true story of the three little pigs (laughs) <laughs> yes, the John, what's his name? The children's book author. John Sheska. I love that one too. Good point. That's a great example of that. Um, but you see um, just the way she tells it, and, and she actually does narrate the novel, which in this case is fantastic because, like I said, she's a comedian. Her delivery is wonderful. Yeah. Her English accent is terrific. I found myself like really stopping and savoring some of the descriptions, but then also kind of laughing. And she takes kind of a lighthearted approach to it. And I really, really loved it. I ended up giving it four out of five stars, which for anything based in Greek mythology is pretty high for me. So that is Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Okay, my next one is called Day's Work by Chris Batchelder and Jennifer Havel. Can't wait to hear your take on this. You've been raving about it. I have, and this one is more difficult to describe because it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. Chris Batchelder and Jennifer Havel are husband and wife, and she's a poet. He is a novelist. His novel, The Throwback Special, was a finalist for the 2016 National Book Award. So they each have their own independent writing careers. But during the pandemic lockdown, they teamed up to co-author this novel, and it's titled Day's Work. And it's it's difficult to describe because it feels like it should be nonfiction, because it's about this this novel. It's a fictional log of a woman's research during the pandemic, and it's like what she discovers daily. She has this fascination with Melville and Moby Dick, and it's it's what she discovers daily. But then also conversations with her husband and. And it feels like it should just be nonfiction, but it is fiction. They wrote it together. And they weren't themselves researching Melville during the Well, part of it is. Yeah. And and part of the part of what's included is, you know, there are all of these real statistics and real people and real reviews. But they both worked on the voice of the narrator together. So that's where it departs and does become fiction. So it, it looks at Melville. It also looks at this fictional couple's relationship. And they have, like, other pet tangents that they go off on. But I don't know why. I mean, I'm still, I'm just wanting to clutch my chest right oh. now. Because even though I'm not holding the book, 
That is the highest praise, I think, of a book when you just want to hug it. The writing style was so very accessible. And, you know, a friend of mine, I agree with what he said about this book. He said, it's a novel that reminds you why you've devoted your life to books. Oh, my gosh. That's so wonderful. Right? That goes right on to my TBR then. (laughs) There you go. It's Day's Work by Chris Batchelder and Jennifer Habel. Now, I have a a question. Did you read Moby Dick? No. Okay, and that did not affect your reading of this? No, not at all. Um, And in fact, one section of the book, they they quote all of these authors, like Lauren Groff, tried Moby Dick four times. Wait, this book quotes those authors? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. It's like Lauren (laughs) Groff, it took her till the fourth time or the fifth time for it to finally, then it changed her life. But the first four times, she had like, would want to... She abandoned it. I don't know that she wanted to throw it across the room. I just, yeah, I assume. We, we had, as you'll remember, at our last uh, Literary Feast book club at KMUW in our studios, we had a very interesting discussion about Moby Dick when we went around the room this past time talking about our favorite or least favorite books we had to read in school. There were some divisive opinions about Moby Dick. Oh, that's Dick. right. There were people who absolutely loved it and think it's the best thing ever, and there were people who just never want to mention it again. Um, obviously, like a lot of books, I think it depends on when you read it and you know what, what you're bringing to that experience. But I just, I wondered, because this is sort of Mo- Moby Dick adjacent, I wondered if you have to. Yeah, and it was less about Moby Dick, more, I guess, more about Melville oh, and right. his life uh-huh. and the women he surrounded himself with and how he was kind of a tyrant and they did all this work for him and yet they were kind of invisible. They're written out of history, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they they were researching that aspect. And Lauren Groff is not the only author who they quoted who read it, you know. And some, or didn't. Or didn't. I mean, <laughs> yeah. several would say how many times it took them to get through it. And wow. then, then they would love it. So, yeah. yeah. So those, sometimes those reads are so worth it. Again, I'm going to mention grapes of my Grapes of Wrath experience again because I read it at just the right time and I really, really enjoyed it. But it's a thick, you know, challenge of a book. I think this one is... I think it's tiny. I actually don't oh, have a Day's copy. Work is day's actually work. tiny. Yeah. Mo- oh, Moby Dick. Though. Right. Okay. But huge. Day's Work, I think you could probably read it in an evening. Oh, wow. Possibly. Yeah. Or at you least know, in a Saturday. I for thought sure. the, the galley looked pretty, pretty thin. So, um, yeah, that's it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Again, we need to talk about books you can read in one sitting. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. That was, yeah. So go ahead and say it again since we've been talking yeah. about it a little bit more. So that was Day's Work by Chris Batchelder and Jennifer Habel. All right. So the next, my next one is is another little update on my summer reads. I'm kind of proud of myself. I think I actually maybe read two or three books of the stack that I pulled at the beginning of the summer. So I'm going to, like, we're wrapping up summer now, and I just have to talk again about Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau. This was such a fabulous summer read. So if you're listening to this right now and you are ready for fall and spooky reads and scary stuff and, you know, all the literary fiction that's coming out this season, make a note and save this for next summer because this is the story of a 14-year-old girl, Mary Jane, who's growing up in Baltimore in the 70s. And she gets a job uh, nannying for a family down the street. And he's a psychologist, and they are sort of the free love hippie style family of the 70s. And Mary Jane is growing up in a much more structured and traditional uh, environment where, you know, she does chores and she learns to cook and she uh, women have their place and um, men are the 
breadwinners and and all that stuff, all the traditional roles. Well, this just shakes up Mary Jane's world. It's a wonderful coming-of-age novel. It's funny. It's so reflective of the time of the 70s. So if you did grow up (laughs) in or around the 70s, you'll very much appreciate some of the the retro scenes from this novel. Um, It's just, it's also, I loved it because it's about found family. uh Um, So Mary Jane, you know, it, uh, you know, she loves her parents. Uh, but these are the type of folks they they say a prayer for Richard Nixon every night. <laughs> um, meanwhile, at the you know the family down the street, the Cones, where she is uh, working and taking care of this young child, uh, they have an impeachment uh, sticker on their door. Oh so gosh. it's it's just a real uh, dichotomy. Um, but just a wonderfully told. Light, bright, perfect summer read because there's scenes, you know, where they go to the beach and she wears a bikini for the first time. You know, it's just that that 14 year old kind of coming of age, wonderful, wonderful novel. So I can't say enough good things about it. That's Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau. I will say, too, that I um, have a review of this one uh, at KMUW.org. Okay, good. All of mine are also author interviews. Yay, good. So check out Marginalia. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to get into this one, but I will just say that I read it and go on to the next. But if you are a fan of Julie Schumacher, she wrote Dear Committee Members and The Shakespeare Requirement. Her third book in the trilogy is out, and it's called The English Experience. And it follows the same Jason Fitker, the professor Mm -hmm. at this curmudgeonly (laughs) English professor. And he takes a group, a study group abroad. So I've got to I've got to get I I can't remember if I read the second one, though. So I should probably read the Shakespeare requirement first. You don't have to. Okay, you don't have to. That seems I don't know. (laughs) What's the word? Reckless? Yes, <laughs> reckless. <laughs> to read series out of order. Okay, uh, maybe maybe I'll do it. Um, another one that I read that I'm probably not going to elaborate on is My Name is Iris by Brando Skyhorse. And it is a work of speculative fiction that imagines what would happen if mandatory electronic wristbands were required to prove citizenship. And the main character, she'll ask her mother questions, and her mother's response immediately is, Who cares? You were born here. That means something. Well, in this woman's lifetime, being born here doesn't mean anything. She has to prove that her parents were born here, and they weren't. So, I mean, it's just, it's a look at, you know, I guess somebody in Louisiana proposed a law like this. I bet, yeah. I mean, it's not too far from the truth of what's what's being talked about. Exactly. And, you know, I also spoke with uh, Brando Skyhorse about his own ethnic identity because he was born Mexican-American, Um, But his mother decided they would have more opportunities if they said they were Native American. So she changed his name to Brando Skyhorse. And he didn't find out until he was like preteen, maybe 12 or something. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was interesting as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But the one I will talk about. (laughs) (laughs) There's a triad. I had to slide them in. Of course. You know, you read something and you want credit for it, right? tell the world. Of course. I won't talk about this one much either because it's very difficult to describe as well. It's called The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store oh, by James wow. McBride. Yeah. And this book, I'm pretty sure it's probably going to win several awards. And I just feel like I need to say, read it. It's kind of an, an American melting pot story. This takes place in the 1930s in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, where the diverse community is made up of immigrant Jews and African-Americans and even KKK members. Wow. 
But it's difficult to describe beyond that. I don't know what to say other than I told McBride that this is the type of book that makes me want to be a better person. Mm. I loved this book. So there you go. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And James McBride, I mean, yeah, talk about a a resume. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about this book. So, um, you know, we're heading into that sort of, I don't know what it is about fall reading, but I just want to dive into like really thick literary fiction, you know, with a message. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that one's great. And I am embarrassed to say I don't think I've read any James McBride. I didn't read The Good Lord Bird, although it's been on my list forever. I I don't think I read it either. Oh, anyway, that's um, that's a good one. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. All right. Well, my next one is super weird and super wonderful. (laughs) It's called Shark Heart by Emily Haybeck. Beth, this is a book that is about a woman whose husband turns into a shark. (laughs) Beth is shaking her head. Because that's all it takes to draw me into this book. Also, it has a beautiful cover. Yeah, what made you choose this? Um, Because of Night Bitch, actually. Because if you remember, one of my favorite books from a few years ago was Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. And that was about a woman who essentially turned into a dog. Or did she? You know, remember (laughs) that whole thing? Like, is she turning into a dog? Is she just thinking she's turning into a dog? In any case... I have said time and time again that I don't like or appreciate magical realism. Well, it turns out I'm a big fat liar because (laughs) every time I pick up one of these books, I am just enthralled. And the reason is that's, you know, the gimmick, that's the pull, that's the weird, you know, thing that's happening. But as with most novels, it's about so much more than that. So we're just and I don't want to give too much away about this book because I do think it's really uh, lovely to just go into it kind of as blindly as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hey, nice cover. Interesting premise. Let's see what this is about. But one thing you should know, which is one thing you noticed when you were flipping through my copy of the book, is that the chapters are really, really short. And it's it's almost like poetic prose. Mm. There's lots of white space. Some of the chapters are just a few sentences. It's experimental. You know, some of the chapters are kind of like snippets of um, a play in progress. But essentially, we have a couple, Lewis and Wren, whose first year of marriage is also their last. They fall in love. They get married. His nose starts to feel soft. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Stick with me. I'm not laughing at the book. I'm laughing at Suzanne's (laughs) descriptions. I'm not laughing at the book. His nose starts to feel a little wiggly and like it doesn't have a bone in it. And it turns out a lot of his body parts are turning to cartilage because this in this world where this book is written, these. um, Isn't your nose cartilage anyway? Well, but you can't like you can't like (laughs) I'm missing with my nose now, but you can't like press it flat against your face. So even the bridge of his nose was softening. Okay. And then his ears start getting weird and like leaning back into his head and all these things start happening. He goes to the doctor and in in this particular world, it is not unusual to turn into an animal. So it's kind of almost dystopian in that way that there are diagnoses that's like it is your this is, you know, you're you're turning into a great white shark. But it turns out to be just a lovely story about 
love and caretaking and letting go Hmm. as you might imagine you know when when a person turns into a shark they're going to eventually have to live somewhere that you don't um if you're a human being um but this looks back at ren's childhood and her experiences with her mother there were many times during the reading of this book where i just went oh that was so beautifully written and I have lots and lots of book darts in the book. So, wow. you know, that's a good sign. Yes, of just, it is. Just a wonderful book. And um, so unusual. Unique does not begin to, you know, describe this book. But I just uh, loved everything about it. That is Shark Heart by Emily Haybeck. Okay. My last one is Wifedom by Anna Funder. And, well, George Orwell has always, his writing has always resonated with her. And so during a particularly overwhelming period in her life, she returned to it for comfort. And she stumbled upon a key part of his history that was neglected by Orwell and his numerous biographers because they were men writing about a man and they completely ignored the role that his wife played in his life, his first wife. Her name was Eileen O'Shaughnessy. She was his editor. She would type his work. When he went to fight in Spain, she also went and started working nearby at this political group there in Spain. Mm -hmm. And even in the book that she typed for him that he wrote about that war, she was eliminated from that as well. And she typed it. So it was just interesting because somebody discovered six letters that Eileen O'Shaughnessy wrote to her best friend. Is this true? This is. I mean, I know it's a novel. This is a novel, but but it's based in in. uh, This is part fiction, part nonfiction, part part memoir. It's just it's similar to Day's work in that that also was part fiction, part nonfiction, part memoir. Right, right, right. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's fine. You said something about these these letters. letters. They were they were discovered recently. She was granted access to them. So she incorporated these letters into this book. So she might be talking about, she's Australian, so she might be talking about, you know, doing something with her kids in Sydney. And that part is all real. But then if these any part of this letter appears in the book, it's italicized. So you know those were Eileen O'Shaughnessy's direct words. Okay. And then there are other parts where she kind of reimagines their life, and that's fiction. So... It, Wow. Once, yeah, it's it was interesting. It's more about Orwell and how he treated women, and then are we gonna are we gonna hate Orwell after this book? After um, we, like Hemingway, you <laughs> you might, but I don't. I mean, if you love his writing, you'll you'll yeah. continue to love his writing. And he was a man. Uh, you know, it was it was of the time, right? Too, you know, to consider that. Right. Wow. Like one part I found interesting um, when they were married. She arranged for her minister to come and perform the ceremony. And so, like, he wrote a letter to somebody saying, I was married today, although they skipped the word obey. Like, (laughs) when a man would say his vows, they would be like love, cherish. And when a woman would say hers, it was always like love, cherish, and obey. Mm -hmm. And she had omitted those from from the ceremony. As so many women do today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. It um, It was well done. It was... You know, I've read some really good books lately. I know I we both all of have. Yeah, yeah, we both have. These are these are all just stellar, and yeah, I just feel really good about my reading this summer. So that is Wifedom, Mrs. Orwell's Invisible Life by Anna Fender. Very good, very good. 
Um, so my the last uh, book I'm bringing today is the new Ann Patchett, oh, Tom yeah. Lake. I welcome an Ann Patchett novel. I won't even say just a novel because her nonfiction is also great. I believe her last release was nonfiction, These Precious Days, the essay collection. This one, Tom Lake, is definitely a novel, and it is another pandemic novel. So I'm I, that's sort of a theme for us today, too. It really is. Yeah, so uh, the, the gist of this story is... Uh, Laura is a mother of three adult daughters. She lives uh, on a cherry orchard in northern Michigan. And during the pandemic, her three adult girls come back home from their own lives. They're young adults, so they're coming home from college and just living at home, as so many families did, sort of cocoon during those early days of the pandemic. And also because it's the pandemic and everything is sort of crazy and and not normal they have to help harvest the cherries and at their family's orchard Hmm. but really the story is about them begging their mother for the story from her own youth about her love affair with a hollywood star named peter duke Hmm. so it turns out laura their mother was an actress for a time and was in Summerstock Theater with Peter Duke at the early part of his career, and they were performing Our Town. And I've heard some interviews with Ann Patchett, who says that, you know, Our Town is just a kind of a quintessential text for her. She reads it pretty regularly. She just really loves it. It's the Thornton Wilder play Mm -hmm. that was published in the 30s, I believe. Anyway, so it's a theater-adjacent novel for sure because there's a lot of sort of theater drama happening. But it's really another coming-of-age novel. But it's also about sort of what stories we tell to our family members, including our children, and what we don't. Mm. You know, what what do they have a right to know? And are there certain things they shouldn't know or don't really have a right to know? Is it okay to keep secrets from those closest to you? It's also just kind of about memory and that how what we remember changes over the years. Um, it, it's just beautifully written, you know, Ann Patchett of Bel Canto and Commonwealth and the Dutch House fame. Uh, she always brings something just a little bit different, mm-hmm. but her characters are always really well developed. And that the dialogue in this novel is, I thought, really realistic and natural. The relationship between her and her husband and there are revelations throughout. So you think it's, you know, you're at the beginning of the novel, you know, the situation is one way. And then as you hear the backstory, you learn a little bit more about each character, including her daughters. It, it was wonderfully, wonderfully written. Another another hit by right. Ann Patchett. That's Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. You know, just last week I was texting with a friend from Tulsa and discussing books that we were reading, and, and she said she was reading essays by Ann Patchett, mm-hmm. and she said, I've, I've started feeling like nobody else will measure up. I know. She's just so great. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like she, like I said, she always does, has something different up her sleeve. I heard a, an interview with her recently when she said that nonfiction is just so much easier for her, but she has to push herself to write fiction. Hmm. And... um yeah, I thought that was interesting. But again, it's like she goes back and forth so often. and But all of her stuff. I, I can't think of a single Ann Patchett novel that I haven't loved. There are a couple I haven't read. I mm. haven't read The Magician's Assistant or... Have you read Run? 
No, I have not read Run. Have you re- read Patron, Patron Saint, Saint of, of Liars. Liars? Yeah, that was her first one, and I have not read have that either. Have you read either. Taft? No. So I've only read <laughs> the latest ones. She has quite a... Yeah, I have all of her early ones. Yeah, see, I, I discovered her later after Bel Canto, I'd say. Yeah. So uh, Bel Canto was uh, one, I mean, just is one of my all-time favorite novels, but then all of her novels since have been, yeah, I've checked them out, so... I need to go to her backlist. Maybe I'll have my uh, autumn of autumn of Ann Patchett there or something. <laughs> I summer is still here, so it's still I, hot. So I'm, you're good. Yeah, my summer of Saunders has not been going well. That's okay. That's okay. It can turn into the winter of Saunders. Maybe Saunders <laughs> is better in the winter. Maybe <laughs> we'll find out. All right. Do you have another one? Or are you no? That's okay. It. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what we did. Okay. With our reading retreat. So Beth and I, for years now, have talked about how we, of course, love to read and we do a lot of reading, but so much of our reading is just sort of in fits and starts and snippets here and there. I do most of mine early in the morning before work, just whenever we have free time and we talk about how glorious it would be to just get away for just a couple days and just read and eat and drink wine. <laughs> so that was that was our agenda and we did it. We did it. So so what would you say Beth it was uh, what are sort of your overall thoughts coming out of that retreat? I think um, the most important thing that we did was actually get it on the calendar. Absolutely. That that way we did it. I I if I had to do it again, I would make sure I did not take work with me. Because for sure, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I didn't clear. I didn't get all the way away to read. I, and even when I was reading, it was still for work. So, right. I, I did not have the glorious experience Suzanne did. Because <laughs> <laughs> I made sure I was off. I took vacation days. But it was lovely, and the food was amazing. <laughs> yes, the food was amazing. <laughs> so I will say, yes, I think you're absolutely right. Get it on the calendar. Like so many things, especially in adulthood, that we say, hey, we should get together sometime. We right. should do this sometime. You know what? Sit down. Set a date. We also got away from town, mm-hmm. and I think that that was really important. It was just about an hour outside of town at a friend's lake house, but that's all it took to sort of feel separated. And I think that that was really crucial uh, for me anyway to not feel like it, it would have been too easy if we were here in town. It would have been too easy to think, oh, I'm just going to run this quick errand, right. do this quick thing. And it was really nice to be away in a different setting. It also, I have to say, was a beautiful setting. This particular house had window seats that looked out over a lake <laughs> and you know, I could live there in yeah. that seat. I'm not even talking about <laughs> in that house on that lake. I'm talking about in that particular spot because it's so nice to just, yeah, to just relax and have your book in front of you and just be able to dive in and, and have this, like, glorious scene in front of you. Um, I also think our menu planning helped. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It did help. We divided the meals, and so... I mean, it did, that's not to say we didn't help each other out every once in a while, but we divided the meals equally and actually assigned the meals so we knew what we were having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner each day. And it just worked well. 
I mean, the only question was, well, are you ready to eat? Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> we knew we were always cooking. Something. We knew what we were going to make, and that took the guesswork out of it. And we brought the groceries we needed, and all of far that. too many. Yeah, but, but that's yeah. just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Also. Uh, yeah, plan for leftovers. That's the one thing we didn't do because we were making new meals each time right. that were like servings for four or six people. So we took home a lot of leftovers. So that's good. Oh, my gosh. It was so great. And, you know, oh, I will say, too, it helped to uh, just move your body every now and then. So we sort of made it um a habit to get out each day. We were only there, like, so we got there on a Monday at noon, and we left at Wednesday afternoon. Right. So it was really only two full days, but um, but it was nice, you know, when when the and it was it was still pretty hot then, so it was swimming weather, and we got out and walked around a bit, and it was it was just lovely. I couldn't recommend it enough. It was to me this was like our experimental retreat, and mm-hmm. now. We know, like, and to just do it for a couple days and see how it goes, and it was just fantastic. I did, you know, one thing I thought would be awkward would be reading alongside each other, you know, and not not talking. I thought we would have to talk all the time, uh-huh. but we didn't. No. I thought that was really great. I love that I can have uncomfortable, I mean, comfortable silence. <laughs> I'm glad that we can be comfortably silent together, just doing our own thing and reading. Yes. And so maybe, you know, that might be something to consider if you're planning your own reading retreat. Do you have somebody to go with who will allow you to read? Yes. (laughs) Because, no, I mean, that sounds silly, but it's true. I I could also see if you're with a bigger group, you would have to have your own spaces. Right. You know, I think you would have to have enough, you know, different separate rooms in the house to, to really, you know, sort of stake out a spot and be quiet because you know some people might want music playing while they Mm. read some people might want total silence anyway I thought it was fantastic I definitely want to do it again I know we came away thinking we have to do this at least every summer and winter right Um, so anyway that I I highly recommend it if you uh, have been thinking about it just do it how many books did you bring Oh, (laughs) a lot. I also had my Kindle, so I had, I don't know, 10,000 books on that. But um, no, I brought a stack. But here's why. I did bring a stack of way more books than I knew I would ever get to. But I wanted to have variety uh, because I'm a mood reader. Mm -hmm. And I wanted um, and it turned it did turn out I, I read Tom Lake there in its entirety. And um, and I also had a book of Ross Gay essays, Inciting Joy. Um, and so I could, you know, if if I just didn't feel like, you know, a chapter of Tom Lake at that point, then I could go to the essay. So that was really helpful. Um, but, yeah, I just happened to pick up Tom Lake. But, you know, I had a, I don't know, a choice of about eight or ten more. <laughs> How about you? Um, I don't know that I took that many. But I think I only read one. Yeah. But it's okay because I mean I love the I love the experience of reading a book in a day. I just think it's oh, and you were also listening. You were listening too. You had earbuds in, so you had you were listening. I wish I could remember the house of I think it was House of Trelawney that you were, which I didn't talk about. That's okay. We can talk about it next time. That in preparation for High Time by Anna Rothschild. We'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, But no, I, I I do recommend sort of bringing more books than you think you'll you'll need. Um, but yeah, I could have cut mine down a little, but <laughs> why? <laughs> why? No, that's great. Well, um, I guess that's a, that sounds like a great place to stop. It does. Okay, well, 
Until next time. Keep turning those pages. Bye. Bye. Is that what we, is that what we say? <laughs> Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org.